This morning we're starting a new series, if you haven't picked that up already in uh, your bulletin, noticing that, and the, the title of that is Grace Amplified, and we're excited to be working through the book of Galatians, but before we dive into that, I was thinking that for setting kind of the tone for our time together, I was thinking about something kind of random, and, uh, and maybe the, I'll put this picture up here, maybe for you guys, you can picture back to growing up, that was what your television looked like. You weren't quite sure if it was a television or a piece of furniture. Did anybody else have a television that looked a lot like that? In fact, I'm pretty sure that that one might be a picture of the one I grew up with. And uh, for, the, for the longest time, I grew up and I was the guy that, that wasn't willing to make the switch to this whole HDTV stuff. I was like, no. I, I was, in fact, annoyed by the commercials that showed me how clear the HD picture was, and they were showing it to me on my non-HD TV. I'm like, this makes no sense. If I see how clear it is there now, I don't need one. And so anyway, so I fought it for the longest period of time. Anybody else been troubled by that? Okay, maybe I was the only one. So for the longest time, I was like, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go with the, the direction of everybody else. Then after a while, I kind of found out after hearing so many friends talk about how great they were, I found myself as, as I'd walk by my TV giving it little nudges in hopes of it breaking. You know, maybe it'll fall off the shelf, you know, because I was like, you know, we'll, we'll replace it once it breaks, but it just never seemed to break. And so finally, I caved in probably about four years ago and got, uh, got for, for a Super Bowl party, in fact, you know, serving others. And uh, and. Uh, <laughs> Broke down and got the, got the HD TV and the Blu-ray, the whole nine yards. And I'll tell you what, once you experience HD, anybody else, any other HD snobs in the, in the room? Or once you experience it, you're like, I can't go back. You know what I mean? You're like, wait a second, you can see all the features of this person's face. And you can see the fans in the crowd, as if you needed that. Uh, but, but like all the stuff, once you, once you experience it, you're like, man, I, I, I'm not turning back. And so I, I'm fully, now I'm the HD snob that's like, oh, it's in standard definition. Okay, maybe we'll watch something else. Uh, and, and, and so, so, but the truth is, and you're like, why are we talking about that? Like, how does that even remotely relate? But the truth is, my hope for this series as we're working through the book of Galatians is that grace would be similar for us. That all of a sudden our limited view of grace would be expanded. We get a greater picture of God's amazing grace on our behalf and we'd never turn back. You're like, man, once I've tasted and seen what he's actually done for me, the extent of the, the benefits that are at my disposal, the, the change of my identity, the reshaping of, of who I am, the redirection of my eternity, I can't turn back. That's my prayer for this, this series in Galatians, is that once we get our eyes open to it, we're blown away. You see the, the picture of the, the guy getting blown out, out, of, out of his chair. I think I stole that from a tape company. But, uh, but, uh, uh, but that, that idea is, is permeating us as the body of Christ here as ABF. And so that's what I'm excited about as a church. But before we dive into the series, I just want to commit it to the Lord if you'll join me in prayer. God, we just come to you this moment just with that expectation that you would open our eyes, that you'd expand our vision of your grace and your kindness that's been extended to us. It's so unbelievable. As we even scratch the surface of it, God, I just pray that it just blows us more and more away on a daily basis in a way that, that transforms the way we act, the way we think, the way we respond to situations, the, even, even the, the tone that we go into our day with. God, I just pray that you'd shape us 
because of an expanded view of your grace. We know that that's only possible through the revealing that your Holy Spirit does in our mind and our heart. And so we're inviting you, even in this moment now, to start doing that. We pray that in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, so a couple things. Start with a few definitions of uh, grace to make sure we're heading the, the right direction. I, I, I thought of a, a few here I've, I've had pointed to me over the years. The first one was clarifying the, the definition of the word justice. The word justice, because it relates to, to grace, is justice is when you get what you deserve. Justice is, and that's one of the things that we cry out for. All of the court dramas point towards that. Like, that's what we, we scream towards. We want justice. So that's uh, the idea of getting what you deserve. Now, mercy, you guys can probably help me fill in the blank there. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. That's like, please, have mercy on me. Please, give me mercy. It's when you don't get what you deserve, which is a good thing. But the cool thing is that grace is even greater than that. Grace is greater than not just getting what you, de- what you deserve. Grace, by definition, is this. When you get what you don't deserve. It's more than not just get, not getting something that you deserve. It's, it's, it's getting more. So there's a get piece. It's not just avoidance. There's a get piece. If you think of a, of a court scenario, it's, it's, the, it's the being set free, but it's also, I don't know why my mind goes to this, it's the Ferrari sitting outside of the courthouse, you know? Like it, it, it's the one waiting with a bow on it outside because it's more than just being set free. It's then free and then all the benefits of Christ being poured out on our behalf. A.W. Tozer says this, Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. It's more than just not getting what we deserve. John Piper defines it as this, Grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. I love that. Grace is power, not just pardon. Or this, this thought by Dallas Willard is fantastic. This idea that kind of pushes back against the idea of grace just kind of sitting back in a lounge chair like, hey, it's done. I don't need to do anything. This is the picture. It's in your, your bulletin, this quote. I love it. It says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. You've never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. That's awesome. That's one to meditate on a little bit. The idea of it's not about, it's not about, it's not about earning. It's about effort being compelled because of God's grace in our life. So grace is the big picture in the, the, the book of Galatians and what I'm excited for us as a church to be growing in. And so we're going to be diving straight into the book. If you guys have your Bibles with you, we're going to turn to chapter 1, verse 1. But while you're doing that, I just want to give you just a couple thoughts on the background of this book. And I, we can probably guess, uh, this is an audience participation. Who was the author? Paul. What was his old name? What did, what did he used to do? Right, so pretty big transformation. So this is the guy, redirected his life, redirected, so he went from being zealous for the law, uh, opposing everything to to do with Christ, to then go on to plant all of these churches. In this church, the, the audience here is one likely in the Roman province of Galatia. We've seen the start of it in Acts 13 and 14. It's about 50 years after Christ's ascension. I thought this was interesting, another fact about Paul, that Paul, 
was born about the same time as Jesus. I thought that was interesting, my study this week, in a city called Tarsus. So this is 50 years after the ascension. Although Paul founded these churches, they were polluted by others. So although he started these churches, it's not just one church in Galatia, but multiple churches, they were polluted by others. So what the pollution that he's referring to, and we're going to see in the text here in a moment, is that they've been invaded by false teachers that are presenting that there's something that needed to supplement faith in Christ. There's something that needed to be added to faith. So it was faith plus something. In this case, it was Judaizers that were presenting that it was faith plus doing the law, is that's how your one was saved. So it was faith plus something, faith plus. And so for, for Paul, you can imagine that somebody that was set free from the law, it might fire him up if people are trying to point you, push his, his church that he started back to the law, right? So he'd be passionate. And you're going to see that throughout this letter, that it's a passionate presentation. It's not just like a, a suggestion. He's like, no, listen, we got to get back to the basics of grace, back to the basics of grace. And so that's what he moves us towards, moving us back to the basics of grace, back to where it started. So we're going to start in verse 1, looking at the first couple of verses, and you're going to see why Paul is qualified to confront them. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Let's pause there just for a second. One of the things, one of the ways that to de deny the truthfulness of a message is to deny the authority of the one who's giving it. So in this time period, during this time in this church, what had happened, it was Paul had been opposed by these false teachers. And they're not saying to debunk everything that he had said, but they're starting to plant kind of questions about his character and about, did he really have apostolic authority? Was he really qualified as an apostle? Who is he to tell us things? Who is, a, who is he to teach us? That's the interesting thing. And something you'll find in the life of following Christ. A lot of times when you're trying to present truth, when you're trying to pre present the gospel, like there's like, yeah, but what qualifies you to say that? What qualifies you to, to have that authority to make that statement? And so you're seeing that opposition. I remember some years back, I was in a counseling session where there was a, a young lady that was in what we called at the time small groups. And we were sitting down with her and the small group leaders of the time. And I was kind of helping mediate a conversation because to my, it was pointed out to me that this girl had, had lost her cool in a small group, started cursing at the other small group members and threatening their lives. So it was very similar to Bill Heatley's group. And, uh, and so... <laughs> And so, and so in this, in this small group, so I'm listening to these details and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you did that? And she's, she was kind of denying it, but then she turned a corner and she's like, and she's like, and you know what? I heard what you've been saying about me on your radio program. And I was like, wait a second. I don't have a radio program, so there's a problem there. And so it was interesting, like, like in the conversation, she, was, she started to direct her attacks at me, and I was like, I don't have a radio program. I don't even know you. And, uh, and, and so, so it was an interesting thing how, how, how that, that, can, that root can take root, and you start grabbing for straws, trying to debunk truth, with, with, with lies and made up things. And that's exactly what's happening to, to, to Paul here is the, these false teachers are saying like, wait a second, does he have authority to be speaking these things? Is he qualified? The truth is, Paul established right out of the gates. He says, Paul, an apostle. 
So he establishes right out of the gates of what he, who he is. An apostle is one sent by Christ to proclaim his truth during these formative years of the church. So that's the definition. So this was out of the, right out of the gates when Christ left. How many disciples did he have? Twelve. But then he lost one because Judas kind of blew it. Not kind of, really blew it. And, and then if you'll, you'll, you may have noticed in, in the beginning of Acts that Judas is replaced by Matthias. And so then brings it back to 12. But then upon, with the, the encounter that, that Paul had on the road to this Damascus, then he was brought to being an apostle as well. The, one of the qualifiers of being an apostle was that they've had an encounter with Christ after his resurrection. So now, now him, he's pointing directly to that. He's saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He's saying, hey, this wasn't my idea. He's like, I was, I was going down the road. I was going to kill Christians. You know, like this wasn't my plan. God got me in a headlock and redirected me completely, right? And so that's what Paul's trying to start by making his case, saying, this wasn't my suggestion. This isn't my idea. I'm just passing on the message that was given to me. It wasn't even something I necessarily asked for. And so he says, raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. So he's saying, listen, hey, it's not just me that it's re he's redirected lives. He's doing it all over the place. It's, it's a pattern. It's, it's happening left and right. And the cool thing is even today, you hop on a plane any direction. You get off that plane and you see God still doing that same work, knocking people on their back and drawing him, them to himself. It's an awesome thing. So why is he qualified to confront? Because he's an apostle and it wasn't his idea. He's just, he's just doing what he was told he's doing. And the interesting thing about apostles is that they were given power to perform signs and miracles to authenticate the message that they had. And you see that evidence all over in the stories written of, of Paul's experiences on his missionary journeys. So first, qualified to confront, bringing people back to the basics. So he wants to bring them back, but he's like starts by laying out this qualifications. The next thing in verse 3 through 5 we're going to see that he starts by laying out some just foundational grace basics is what I labeled it. Bringing it back to just kind of the foundational truths about grace. So look what it says in verse 3. It says, To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for your sins, uh, for, for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he starts here, bringing them back to where they'd started, back to grace. I think it's interesting in how many of the, uh, the letters that Paul wrote, all, almost all of them start with those words, grace and peace. Grace and peace. Now, if you think about those two words, grace is the requirement to have peace. Like there, there, There's a connection between the two. You can't have peace apart from God's grace. And so Paul skips the pleasantries here. He, normally he starts with an with introduction and starts praising the, the, the church for some of the things they're doing well. He kind of skips that with these guys. He starts bringing them immediately back to grace. Most of his New Testament letters, the same thing. The partnership between grace and peace. Because the outcome of grace is peace. The outcome of grace is peace. And, and, and sometimes if you're wondering, what, wait a second, why, am I, why do I feel like I'm lacking peace in my life? Maybe that's a, a, a good marker that you've wandered a bit from God's grace. 
But the truth is, so he starts laying out the foundation. And I think that's the truth of what, if we're honest with ourselves, our heart's desire is for everybody that we know is that they experience God's grace and then the peace that we've had through experiencing that ourselves. Amen to that? Anybody feel that same thing? As you interact with the world around you, you're just like, man, I want them to experience the grace. I've, I don't know how to necessarily communicate it. I don't know how to say it, but I want them desperately to have it. One of the blessings in our church is uh, getting a chance to hear different testimonies and stories in our community. And this past fall, you might remember on Thanksgiving, we had a chance for people to share some different testimonies. And one of them was our, our, our new friend, Matt McCormick. And he lives in our community right down the block from us. And he told the story, if you can think back to this, he told the story about his father, who was a, a, a professional baseball player and had never accepted Christ, had been praying for him for years and years and years, and, and, and said, you know what, I'm going to take a risk, and I'm going to just say, you know what, he, he tells the story of the conversation that he, that he had with his dad in a church service, and says, you know what, dad, I don't want to be able to not play catch with you in heaven. It was awesome to think about that, that picture, and that then propelled his dad to make the decision to embrace Christ, and afterwards, they have this emotional encounter where his dad says, hey, looks like I need to go buy a new glove. Isn't that awesome? And, uh, and, and just hearing that story, but at the end of his story, when he shared with us, he said to us, he said, hey, and listen, you can be praying for the, the same thing, because I've got a, a, my best friend, Mike, that I'm trying to share Christ with as well. And so I invited Matt to come up just now for a minute and share in our, in, our, in our service now just what God did through God's grace bringing peace to that situation. And do you mind sharing with us? Yeah. Let's and, welcome and, him yeah, here. It's, it's uncomfortable being in front of people. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for the, uh, for the prayers for that. So even though that was the last minute I had asked for those prayers, I want to share with you what's happened since. And that was, de that was December 1st. I remember when Mallory uh, was baptized here. Um, when I, uh, well, let me, let me back up just a little bit and share with you. M Mike and I have been best friends since kindergarten. So for, for those of you that have best friends, I'm 49 years old, that's, that's a lot of years of being a best friend. And what I mean by best friend, we were active best friends. I would text or call him almost daily, and it was just something that's just, it's what, you, what we did. And, um, and so knowing him for that long, um, we had uh, different journeys. I grew up in a Christian home. He did not. Uh, and then uh, I, I, I would pray for him. I remember being in my early teens praying for his heart and, and, and knew that maybe it's not time to go there, obviously, and as the years go on, and, and our paths took different uh, paths. And I'll, I'll just share with you a little bit about where he was and, and, and became somewhat bitter. Um, he was married. Uh, first marriage uh, came. He, they were divorced after, say, three years. Um, he was single for many years um, and uh, finally met the, the lady of his dreams, uh, Jen. Uh, and they got married, and, and at age 40, they were married uh, and felt like they wanted to have children right away. So they tried to have their first child, and uh, in the almost reaching the third trimester, she lost their son. So they had to bury their son before he was even born. He became more bitter. Um, he watched my sister, who was very, my oldest sister, who was very who was very close with him, have cancer and pass away in 17 months. And then they finally were gifted with Charlotte, uh, his current daughter, who's now six years old. And, uh, and then he's, he's fighting this cancer. 17 months, I'm sorry, um, when they were told that she, Jen was pregnant with Charlotte, three months later, uh, he was contracted with cancer. 
So as you can imagine, all of a sudden now he started later in life. They've got a child, and now he's got cancer, and he's going to have a baby coming. Um, more bitter. Um, and so I just kept praying, and I kept saying, just be an example of Christ. And it was one of those, and I, and I always question, why, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to bring up Christ to someone that you love so much but is so far from it? And I think it's because there's a risk of a relationship that might break or be awkward in the room or create a tension that doesn't need to be there. So I kept praying on it, and, uh, and then finally, here we are. Um, and I, and I, want, I don't want to skip this. Um, as bitter as he was, as he kept going back for chemo treatments and, and, and surgeries, it got to the point where the doctors in opening him up said, if, if, this, if the tumors continue to grow, on your lungs, there's nothing we can do because we can see it in the scans, but we can't see it when we go for surgery. So we're going to have to look at other means. And he tried all other means, trust me. Um, and then it got to a point where he was bedridden, went to the ICU. And 18 months prior to this, I had written a letter to him about where my heart was. And uh, how important it was, again, that we play catch in heaven. And finally, sitting there in the hospital room, God just worked through me, and I, I, finished, I went back and I tweaked the letter a little bit, and I left it with him on the last day of that visit because I knew the way he was going, we probably had about three or four months left. I knew that. He was still pretty strong. In fact, that picture right there, I'll share with you in a second. Um, Kathy, I went back home. This is just recently. This was like three weeks ago, less than three weeks ago. Kathy and I took a vacation with a group of people. We were riding down the coast. We ended in Santa Barbara. I get a text from his wife, and she says, Mike's uh, health has taken a turn for the worst. You need to come up. And I said, okay. And I was prepared for this. He had read my letter. He had left me a message, and we had talked when I was coming home from work. He said, I read it. Sorry. And he said, he said I'm ready. He said, I'm ready, and you better get on a plane and come up here. When Jen said his health took a turn for the worse, because I was coming up there uh, the week and a half later, I thought, do I jump on a plane right now? Do I just go and leave? And I thought, no. Um, so when I got the text from Je Jen, and she said his health has gone sour. It's not weeks and days. The doctor said he could go today. Um, Kathy agreed, and we said, you need to go. So I took a car, threw the bike in the car, went to Burbank Airport, jumped on a plane, got up there, and at 9.30 at night, um, well, first of all, I, I skipped a part. I'm sorry. Let me, can I rewind a little bit? <laughs> sorry, a little emotional here. When I gave him the letter, there was a visit in between, and it was his birthday weekend. I went up there for six days, and on the sixth day of that weekend, I had no time with him privately closed the door and I sat with him and we talked about Christ. I shared with him right then from the letter how important it was and thank God I was able to talk to Scott. Scott helped prep me before I went up there. I said, what do I, you know, I've never walked someone through Christ. And Scott said, you know, it, it, it's not as formal as you think, but it's their decision. And so he prepared me with different things and I had scripture prepared and we talked and then at closed doors, he gave himself to Christ. And this picture right here was an hour before he gave himself to Christ in the room, in the, hosp in the hospice. He thought it was a rehab. He wanted to rehab, and he was going to fight it with everything he got. But in the hospice, 
he accepted Christ. And as you can see, my eyes were a little bloodshot. And we put on those black, you know, the 12th man is a big deal in Seattle, and that's where he's at in Seattle. But we took that picture together, and he had just, be, he had just accepted Christ an hour before. And I said, we got to take this picture. And so we took it. Sorry about this on my story here. And I left there, and it was like 900 pounds that left my shoulders. Because for 30 years, I prayed for him to come to Christ. Sorry. You're doing good, brother. <laughs> for 30, 30 years, I prayed for him to come to Christ. For eight years, I've prayed for the Lord to take that cancer and put it out. If there was a way that they could eject it into my arm and cut my arm off, I'd do it. But let it be his will. And Mike said to me, after he gave himself to Christ in that conversation, he said, you know, for the first time in my life, I realized that my purpose is much different, and maybe it's my story after I go. And I said, I'll tell your story. And so when I got that text, now, we, now move forward another week. That's when I got that text. I was in Santa Barbara, and she said he might go that day. And I jumped on a flight, and I got up there at 9.30. He was on morphine, and if you've been around cancer patients on morphine, they're sitting there, and they can hear you. The hearing is the last thing that goes. And I know he could hear me. He couldn't open his eyes because he was so drugged on morphine because he couldn't feel the pain. And, and, and his parents said, Matt's here. I, I held his hand, rubbed his arm, and I whispered in his ear, yes, we're going to be playing catch soon. And I could tell he, grunt, he grunted something. He, it was noise. And even though he was in peace, it was the first time I'd seen him in peace in so many years. And it just felt right. And within 90 minutes, he took his last two breaths, and that was it. So I share, oh, sorry, I share this story with you. And I think more importantly is the message. Is that even though I didn't give up, and I prayed for him for 30 years, and God told me when the time was, was right. I wrote the letter to him 18 months prior, but then it was in his, his dying hours. It was the right thing to do. So for all of you, I have a letter that I wrote that I'd be willing to share with all of you. The first um, service that came over, I have a ton of email addresses to email. I'm smart enough to now make copies. So I have copies for you after the service. But I think more importantly in this message is that if you have anybody, your family members or good friends, or anyone that you struggle with, to talk about Christ, when I met a lady after the service who said it's her own husband and they've been married 38 years, then hopefully this letter can help you in the way you approach it. And then, uh, and then I'll be praying for you. But that's my story. Awesome. Thanks, God. Thank you, Matt. And I felt that appropriate if we're talking about grace and peace and what we're, our, our heart's desire for people. Like, that's, that's the picture. That, that, that's the picture of our, our heart's cry for the people around us is that they get it. You can't experience, you can't experience the, the, the peace apart from the, the grace, apart from colliding your story with God's story and what he's done on the cross. And that's what Paul's message is. He's trying to say, guys, guys, you got, you got to get it. You got to come back to the basics. 
get back to the basics. And maybe some of us have, have wandered from that. We've got caught up in the do's and the don'ts and all of the, uh, the churchism stuff. But here Paul's just saying, man, come back with me. Come back to the basics, back to the truth of grace. And you look at what he describes. It's hard to pull my thoughts together after that. Thank you, Matt. Uh, and, and, but, but the thoughts of what he presents there in, in verse, uh, verse 2, it says, To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the grace that we just described, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, our sins, because we blew it, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you think about it, that's what, what, what's painted there is, is really the foundation. That, that's, that describes the gospel message right there. What, is, what does it say? It's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a collaborative effort. It was a, t- a team effort in that. That one, it was the will of the Father, but through the Son. It was a rescue mission. What's it, what's it a rescue from? What does it say there? From our sins. We needed to be rescued. Our offenses before a perfect God needed to be reconciled. Reconciled not just our own individual offenses, but what does it say? And rescue from this present evil age. This present evil age. I was reading about that a little bit this week. And age isn't a period of time, but I like this definition. It's a passing transitory system that has been here since the fall of man. It's a passing transitory system. This system that's in place, what we see all around us, it's passing, but that's the reality. It's, a lot of people are like, man, things have gotten really bad around us. Yeah, but they used to be really bad too. They, 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 they've always been bad. Like read the, read the Old Testament. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they've been bad for a long time. That's the system that we're caught up in. That's what we're surrounded with. I was reading Judges 21-25 this week says, In those days, this is thousands of years ago, In those days there was no king in Israel, absent of God. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Isn't that a perfect description of the present day too? You look around us, everybody's just doing based on their experience and their knowledge base from whatever they've been told or seen, like they come up with their conclusions. Apart from God, they're completely lost. That's this rescue mission. That's grace. That's what, where God made the choice to reach out in our lost confusion. There's all kinds of drama this last week. I don't know if you've seen any of it about the, the Grammys and everybody, all the believers up in arms at the behavior of, of non-believers at, at, the, at this event. And to me, it's fascinating because, like, really, that's the rescue mission. It's the rescue mission to people that are completely confused. They're, they're, they're just living based on, on their knowledge base and their experience. And so, like, we don't, like, I don't understand why we feel that we need to condemn people that are condemned. It doesn't make sense. And so I was, I was thinking about that. It, it, it shouldn't surprise us when people that don't believe God's word don't follow it. <laughs> hey, how about that? And so, um, and so that's, the, that's the rescue mission that it was the will of the Father, it was the will of the Father to invade this earth. We talked about the Christmas invasion. And then what, what does it say there? And that we're to give glory to him. Glory that, the, that, that this rescue mission played itself out, that we've been redirected, our eternities changed, our lives changed, everything's changed. And I love that section that he concludes even that statement. He can't, he can't help even giving himself an amen. He said, and he says, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. 
Love this definition of amen. This is, with all of my heart, this is what I wish. With all of my heart, this is what I wish. This is what he, his desire was, is that the people there would understand back to the grace basics. He goes on in verse 6, he continues to confront them with first presenting truth, but now directing the attack on what was uh, the lies that they had bought into. Verse 6 says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, I love the sarcasm there, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we we preach to you, let him be accursed. Not light words there. As we have said before, and he says it again, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He, He says it twice. He starts, he skips past, like I mentioned, in other book, books where there's praise and nice job on this. And he goes straight to this whole thing. He's like, I'm astonished. I can't believe it. One of the, the words that I uh, dreaded hearing when I was growing up, maybe you guys had this from your parents. It was worse than getting grounded or punished or anything was the I'm disappointed in you. It wasn't that the worst when you get that, where it wasn't no punishment, no consequence, just the, you know, Scott, I'm just really disappointed in you. I'm like, oh, that hurts. That stinks. That's, that, that, that's, that's kind of the, the same thing that he was, uh, that, that he's presenting here is, uh, my, my dad's very encouraging, by the way. I don't want him to hear that on record. Um, and so... Um, so astonished, and what he was saying, he's astonished. He can't believe what he's he- hearing. He says, about, about what? The, it, it's not that he's astonished by the false teachers. He's astonished that so quickly they wandered back to what? The old way of doing things. Back to that old law. Back to the old crippling thing that, that used to have bondage around them. And so you can see why Paul would be like, oh, don't go back to that. Don't go back. What is our natural tendency? Our natural tendency is to just go back to the old way. Back to the old way. And he's saying, man, don't go back to this grace plus something else is the way to Christ. Grace plus anything is a false doctrine. It's false truth. That's what he's pointing out to. He describes it as this distorting. The word distort there isn't the same as like a blurry vision. The word distort is the same as the difference between black and in white, it's a different, it's completely different. Hot and cold, distorted saying it's a completely different gospel. If you're adding anything to Jesus plus this is the way that you're saved, you're missing the point. You're missing it. If you think about the world around us, how many of the world religions that are around us are fine with the, they're like, yeah, we'll take Jesus plus this, and that's how you're saved. Like there are a, lot, a lot of world religions are, are just fine with, with, with the Jesus piece, but they say Jesus plus this. Think through this. And, I, and, and this isn't a personal attack. I'm just pointing to what they, their belief system. Mormons, Jesus plus the teachings of Joseph Smith. Jehovah's Witness, Jesus plus the teachings of Charles Taz Russell. Like Jesus plus, the Jesus plus thing. Christian scientists, Jesus plus the keys to science and healing by Mary Baker Eddy. Like, like adding things to running those things through that, those filters is how they land on truth. 
And that's what, the, what he's, he's getting at here. He's saying, hey, that, that's not possible. Prosperity gospel, Jesus plus capitalism. Here in this, this experience, Judaizer, Jesus plus the law of Moses. There's a problem when anything is added to what Christ has already done. And Paul makes the point, he's so passionate about it. He says, I don't care, even if an angel shows up and tells you this, it, 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 it doesn't work. That's not it. I was thinking about that. Who, where, where did Joseph Smith come up with his truth? An angel named Moroni came and, like, uh, and came and presented truth to him. What, where did Muhammad get his truth? Two angels visited him in a dream. What's the, what's the, what's the, what's the name of an uh, angel that's rebelled uh, from God? A demon, right? So, so angels can, can misdirect us if you're not running things through the, the filter of Scripture. And the point that he's trying to make here to this group of people and to us collectively is still Jesus plus anything doesn't work. Jesus plus anything. And there should be freedom in that. There should, that, that, that should be something that's like, ah, that's the exhale. Because what Jesus did is enough. It's enough for me. What he, the, the price that he paid, the, 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 what we celebrated earlier in communion, that was enough for me. That was enough. But guess what? This isn't a real popular opinion. Anybody notice that in the world around us? This isn't very well received. Just recently, I was having a conversation with a, a guy that teaches uh, a religion in the area, at a, at a university in the area, and he was kind of sharing with me. He's talking. He's like, you know, what I've discovered after all my years of, of studying is I'm really starting to see the, the beauty of all religions. And I was like, hmm. And he's like, you know, I, I think they, they all bring us to the to the door of God. And I was like, hmm. And uh, I, was having, I, was, I was having trouble with that. And I said, I said to him, I said, they might bring you to the door, but Jesus is the only key. And so I explained to him, he's like, he, he didn't receive that very well. And we, we moved quickly to talking about the weather. But, uh, but, but, but here, here's the truth is, is that in our culture, this isn't, this isn't very well received. It's not something that, that's embraced. But, but the, the truth is, Paul is not really that concerned about that. He's not that, that concerned about a popularity contest. Look in verse 10 as he continues. He has an audience of one. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please a man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I love that. More confirmation. It's like, he's like, it's some, some more sarcasm. Look at those first words. For am I now, as I've just described, like all these people being a curse that believe differently, am I now trying to, uh, to win over people based on what I just said? Does it sound like I'm a people pleaser is what he's basically saying. I don't think so. I don't think so. Paul, the way that Paul lives and speaks, it's preposterous to think that he's trying to make others happy. I thought this was interesting. He describes himself as a servant of Christ. You see, a martyr and a people pleaser don't equate. A martyr and a people pleaser don't equate. You can't be one and the other. And that's what he's making the case for why his, his presentation there has validity. He's like, listen, I'm not trying to do this to make you like me. I'm just the messenger passing on the truth of the message that was given to me. 
And what a, what, a free, what a freeing thing to release some of the, the, the weight of that. Doesn't, that doesn't mean to not season things in grace. And Scripture talks a lot about being wise as, as serpents, but as innocent as doves in the way that we interact with the world around them. But he's pointing out to us the idea that, man, listen, I'm not trying to win a popularity contest here. If I wanted to be well-liked, I wouldn't be following a person that was murdered after a public vote, Right? If you want to be well-liked, you probably shouldn't be following a person that was murdered after a public vote, right? And, and, and so the, that, that's the truth of our reality here. But the, the way that this comes full circle and we start talking about grace is when the truth of what's actually happened, the transformation that's actually happened in our life, what the extent of God's grace that's changed everything about us. It's a saving grace. It's a sustaining grace. It's an empowering grace. It's a shaping grace. It's a defining grace. It's a redirecting grace. The, the extent of God's grace, when that actually soaks into the core of who we are, all of a sudden we're not so concerned about the world around us in the po- as to the point of whether or not we're liked. We're concerned about the world around us more to the degree of what Matt shared earlier. We're like, man, we've experienced this grace and I can't help but share it with you. I can't help but share it with you. And that's our prayer for this series and for us as a church body is as we bask in God's amazing grace. I think of, of uh, the, in, in this Super Bowl this afternoon, you're going to see a lot of guys on the sideline with what? Those, those oxygen masks, right? They're, they're, they're sucking in the oxygen, trying to get ready for the next play. Well, my prayer for us as a church community is that we're just sucking in the grace. We're breathing it in. We're taking it in because what comes out, even the song that Chad sang earlier, what comes out, we breathe in grace and we exhale praise. We breathe in grace, exhale praise. That's the way it works. That's the way God designed it to work in our lives. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for this text, just even the start of this letter, and how the fact that when you've invaded somebody's heart and mind, there's no shaking left or right. There's no compromise. It's just your truth, your love, your grace and the truth is, is to be direct with, sometime is, with somebody is sometimes the most loving thing you could possibly do for them. Pray that we wouldn't get confused on that. I thank you this morning for the example that, that Matt set for us, even in, in sharing and taking a risk and being bold in sharing with, uh, even in the last moment, sharing with, with, with Mike and seeing his eternity redirected. We celebrate that this morning. We celebrate your grace that was extended to him. And God, the the reason stories like that should be shared is because it's setting the example for the rest of us. God, I pray you do a work in us, that you keep molding us into your likeness, all only possible through your grace. We pray this in your name. Amen. More than just seeing football in high definition today, let's see God's grace in high definition today. I pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. If we can be praying about anything, we'll be happy to do that up front here. And one of the things we do at the beginning of each month is we give back to uh, our Deacons Fund, which is a chance to support some of the needs in our community. So if you want to participate in that as you leave, you're welcome to do so. Have a fabulous week. God bless you.